Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. Chris Houlihan, managing partner at private equity firm Our Miller Partners, didn't have the easiest start in life. Having been born with a very rare condition called sacral agenesis, resulting in him spending the first 12 years of his life in and out of Great Ormond Street Hospital, it would be fair to say that things were a bit of a challenge. However, his disability hasn't held him up on his journey to success, nor his desire to help others. Chris moved out to New York as head of a major bank's alternatives trading platform, but when the West Coast came calling, he moved to California. Chris is a professor at the University of Southern California, where he lectures on business and is a member of the Pacific Council on Foreign Policy. Chris also gives his time to some hugely transformative work with US military veterans, in particular Navy SEALs, helping them transition from the forces to successful business people. So I can't think of a more expert person to have on the Sandro Forte podcast than the one and only Chris Houlihan. Chris, welcome to the show. Nice to to be here, Sandro. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to apologize to all of those uh, tens of thousands of people listening. We have a massive following across, I think, 30 odd different countries now. I'm going to apologize because we are talking transatlantically. So there's, if there's a few blips along the way, uh, it is, it's not because uh, of anything other than the, the connections that we might be having one or two challenges with. But hopefully all will go according to plan. So Chris, without any further ado, since we only have you for a, a short period of time, um, the obvious question, Chris. So the first years of your life must have been you know, very tough. How did your disability shape you as a person? And does it, of course, still affect your life now in any way? Well, I thank you for asking those questions. Um, so for me, it was, uh, it, was, it was an experience. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't, as a child, know, you know anything different than the experiences that you pick up in your early years. And for me, uh, spending a great deal of time in and out of uh, Great Ormond Street as a child and other hospitals in England, uh, what, what became the norm. Um, it was a painful experience. It was relatively traumatic. It wasn't uh, as nice and cosy and friendly as hospitals are today um, with uh, the softer skills management of nurses and doctors. It was a bit more, uh, shall I say, brutal back in the, in the 70s and 80s um, and had yet to evolve to, uh, to some of the standards that we now expect. Um, through that experience, though, obviously, the, the most important uh, saviors uh, were my parents and, and helping kind of you know, uh, make it as comfortable of an experience as they could make it. But ultimately, it was a, a very necessary experience uh, to, uh, to give me the, uh, the tools and the chances in life uh, by having uh, the, the right operations, the right uh, medical care as a child. Uh, that you know would give me as best uh, an opportunity going forward into adult life. Um, to answer your other question about what's that, you know, what's it like to have a disability today? Uh, again, it's uh, it's not it's not like you've had an accident where you you've had 
the ability to walk uh, perfectly fine and run and jump and uh, be a tall human being. Um, you you have what you have, and uh, with that, uh, I uh, just plod through life. Um, I think that um, someone who has a disability that is predominantly a, a physical uh, condition um, needs to adapt to survive. And for me, that was very much the case as a, as a young boy and going forward as, as I get older and older. Um, y- y- there is no real choice in the matter. And um, the, the, you take advantage of all circumstances uh, that you can. Uh, I think that disability is, uh, in my case, in my experience, a, a great door opener. Uh, I think it's a very unexpected um, experience for the folks that work with me, uh, for my clients, through my colleagues, etc. When they first meet each other, they uh, can't believe that you know that the CEO of a company has had all these things happen, and uh, still continues on to this day uh, with these challenges. But at the same time, as being able to build a, a business and build some amazing relationships and clients all around the world. Well, I was just about to pick up actually on something you said earlier, Chris, where you said, I quote, uh, I, you know, I just plod through life. Well, looking at your CV and from what I know of you, because I've had the, the privilege of meeting you, I, you know, I know how super successful you are. So I'm not sure that uh, you're being anything other than very, very modest when you say you're plodding through life because there's lots of people that can only dream of the things that you've achieved. Uh, it's very interesting to hear you say how, um, well, again, like so many people that have had either physical or, or mental challenges, things happen in their life. It's amazing the number of people have turned those t- to their advantage. So particularly interested to, to know a little bit more about uh, how you've seen that as a door opener. But I, I guess I suppose my next question would be, you know, have you always had this head for business? Because, you, you know, you have been very successful. You are very successful. Was it something you've learned? I'm really intrigued to know about this. Or, you know, do you feel it's something that was always an inherent part of who you were? Is it because of the challenges that you had that helped you be- to become more successful, more quickly to find your way through the travails of business? Or was it something you just simply learned? So funnily enough, uh, I didn't want to uh, go into business uh, originally when I was a teenager or, or you know, at university. I wasn't thinking about that as a career path. I actually wanted to join one of two things. One was MI6 and the other was the Foreign Office in London. I really wanted a job which was going to be international, man of mystery kind of experience where I got to live overseas. I got to kind of do things that I personally had an interest in. A lot of my friends were in the were going to join the military and I couldn't do that because of the disability. If I could have flown uh, tornado fighter planes or Apache helicopters, I would have done that in a heartbeat, but that was not an option. But the ability to join the intelligence services um, and or the foreign office was definitely on the cards. It was in my second year at university uh, that I uh, I saw a bunch of my colleagues from my course go to do internships working for banks and, and, and finance. And I saw that they were going to get paid triple what the intelligence services or the foreign office was going to pay. So uh, I immediately, my ears pricked up and went, wait a second, I think this might be a bit more interesting. Uh, plus I get to live overseas if I want to, which is one of my goals. So I made a conscious decision uh, around the age of 20 to start looking at careers in uh, investment banking. And um, 
and managed to uh, secure opportunities with JP Morgan in London um, out of uh, out of university. Um, so I kind of fell into it, but there was definitely a desire to to make money and to um, have the intellectual challenge and also have the opportunity to live overseas. They were kind of sort of the three pillars that I focused on as a teenager at university. Um, did I have a head for business? Uh, I fell into it. And uh, ever since those experiences early on, um, I've stayed within the, the business world. But as you mentioned earlier, I've kept ties with the military and I've kept ties with uh, foreign office and foreign policy uh, <clears throat> through other endeavors. So I still have some of that as part of a passion, but uh, business has taken its, uh, its prominent place in my life. I'm going to come, I'm going to circle back to the work you're doing with the military in a moment, if I may. But I, another obvious question, I guess, is why the US, Chris? Because, you know, I can understand the attraction of California. I've, I've spent some time there myself. But, you know, to, to take that leap, to move away from friends and family in that comfort zone that we all find very difficult to step out of. Why particularly the US? Was it, was it the business opportunity or were there other reasons? So interesting. Uh, so I was given the opportunity early on in my career to move to Japan originally. So I moved to Tokyo in the early 2000s after my kind of first overseas posting. And that was a great experience for a year. But then we had the Enron crisis that occurred in early 2002, where at the time I had some skills and ability to move to America to help the bank uh, uh, try to improve not walking into another situation like Enron. So I moved to New York as a function of a particular uh, situation. And, and then when I moved to New York, um, I kind of fell in love with the United States. I, I, I think it's a, a fantastic place uh, to live, to build a business, to build a career. Um, it's a very, a very varied uh, geography across the US, different from us, obviously, as Brits and, and Europeans culturally, and it's never a perfect place to be. But I did find that, you know, the opportunity for if you have an entrepreneurial mind and a can-do attitude, you really can be super, super successful here. Um, and I saw that very early on in my mid to late 20s. And um, as soon as I had the opportunity to, to become an American citizen, I took it and uh, have never looked back. But I do keep very close ties with family and business in the UK and I'm back there an awful lot but I, I think the US for me is um, it, it, no matter what your circumstances are in life if you uh, have the desire to be successful in any shape way or form be that in sports be that in business be that in uh, academia um, to name but a few this is a place where you can really, really, really make it happen uh, without any prejudice from perhaps what we, what we may have in Europe, such as a class basis or, uh, or, or other things. The US is somewhere where, you know, I all the time encounter people who have been able to craft out a career from circumstances that I don't think anywhere else would necessarily be possible. Um, I didn't come to America thinking that. I just found it and fell into it and uh, and started to see why you know, many people try to come to America to kind of make them themselves. Yeah, you've partly answered my next question, actually, which is exploring the different attitudes to business and success in America. I've got a lot of huge number of friends in America and shout out to all of them listening. Um, you know, and they, it does strike me as a place of 
immense possibility and opportunity if, as you say, you 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 grab the opportunity with with both hands, and that's really what you've just been articulating. Are there any other any other differences that you noticed on your side of the pond to to the UK and Europe? Uh, you know, there's definitely a lack of banter compared to uh, the UK. I do miss uh, my uh, my football and my com- com- comedic friends of, and banter that we have in England, in the UK in general. Um, so that's definitely something missing. Um, I think that uh, uh, we in America take things very literally and very seriously uh, and not necessarily laugh at uh, as much as we should do. Um, so that's definitely something I've I've seen as as a Brit living in the USA, um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just we are different, and, um, and sometimes I find that very funny. And I, have, I am surrounded by a lot of other Brits in America as uh, clients, colleagues, and, and good friends. And my American friends, including my American wife, do think it's uh, a distinct difference between us uh, either side of the pond. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also I also see that um, as time as as the as the advent of inter- the internet and social media has kind of really immersed into our lives over the last sort of ten to fifteen years, we're actually a lot closer than than we even thought we were, uh, you know, b- back in the day before all of that. Uh, and I, th- I see more and more of my American friends uh, becoming more Anglophile these days, all, all suddenly being experts in uh, English Premiership football and um, picking a team, and suddenly being uh, dropping English words here and there, uh, more so than uh, than myself or my English friends here with American terms. So what what still drops you, Chris? I'm fascinated. You know, it can't just be the Californian sunshine, even though that is a a fairly spectacular place to be. You know, what is it that drives you? I know there's there's lots of you have lots of strings to your bow, but what's the thing that keeps keeps you going despite all the success you've achieved? I think yeah, you know, these things these things change. Like when you have your own family and you have responsibilities as you go uh, go through life and mature, you know you, those responsibilities are an enormous driver in making sure that you, you focus on on uh, being as successful as you can in life and in health and in uh, and then of course in business if it as a as part of your kind of temperament. But for me personally, also, uh, you know, there was many steps and times during my younger life where the the the, the mere concept or idea that I would have my own company, live, living on a beach in the Pacific Ocean in California, was just absolutely impossible. Uh, I was I was told many a time that there that you know, living in the UK, trying to go through normal school, my parents trying great hard to ensure that I would not go to a special school and um, would be able to go through the appropriate GCSEs and A-level and university process. Um, people people and institutions there made you think that these kinds of dreams where I am today were impossible. And I will always pinch myself from time to time and, and remind myself of those encounters and experiences and and recognize that they were fuel to my fire that whatever happened uh i used the negativity the difficult nature of life as a young person with a disability as a mechanism for attacking life and to never 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 give up uh and to continue to keep that theme through 
adult life today and through business life today. Um, so that has been, you know, I suppose a core driver and something that I'll always take with me when the going gets tough. Because as far as I'm concerned, nothing will ever be as tough as when I was a young man. Yeah. So what what key messages, Chris, do you try and instill? I mean, you've just shared a couple of real gems there, and I thank you for that. But what key messages do you try and instill when lecturing at the university? You know, what traits do you see in the best students, for example? Is there, is there a common theme? Do you, do you, do you see those those people with ability very early on in the process, do they develop over time? What are those key messages that you that you share and what and what traits are you looking for? Yeah, so you know, I, I I I think a lot of the best students already have the traits. They have the traits of being driven, entrepreneurial, uh, smart already, um, uh, have a lot of uh, you know, zest for life and energy and can do attitude. I see that a lot in, in the best students, but I also want to look at the students who need help um, in order to, to, to rise up, you know, to be given just a little bit of counselling, a little bit of mentoring, a little bit of, you know, my experiences as, you know, as a young person will help folks who thought that, you know, I might I might be struggling with this course or I might be struggling with university in general, and I want to ensure that they know that, you know, I was in their seat once and I got out and I managed to build something out of absolutely nothing. And they can do that too. And to kind of inspire them with tales of those types of experiences and a continued encouragement that it is anything is possible if you put your mind to it. So I try to talk to both groups of people uh, and students, be they the, the, the top performers down to the guys and girls that are struggling. Because that's the nature of the beast. You know, we all found the university difficult. We all find the, the coursework and material and the workload challenging. And at the same time, we're still growing up and figuring out who we are as, a, as individuals. Mm. And I think that if you can have uh, relationships with your professors like they do with me, uh, that they just get to be, or I get to be a sounding board um, to relay my own experiences to, you know, as I said earlier, continue to encourage them. There's, that's what I want to see. And if I can take away, um, well, I do take away that a lot of my students keep in touch with me after they've graduated, to keep in touch with me and, and tell me where they are with their careers and tell me, you know, you know, if it hadn't been for some of the conversations I'd have with them and some of the encouragement I had to them, they would not necessarily be where they are today. It, 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 it you know, makes me feel enormously proud and uh, makes me want to continue to help them uh, with their early part of career and uh, life. Well, I'm long may in you because I know you're doing some fantastic work and, and all credit to you for that. You're working, I'm particularly interested in your work with the military. I mean, I know in particular in America, Chris, that the military are, you know, um, quite rightly, um, put on a bit of a pedestal, uh, particularly the army vets, uh, Navy SEALs. I mean, they're, they're heroes one and all. How do you, uh, you know, cause I'm sure the work you do must be very difficult at times given their experiences. What are the skills that they learn, uh, post their, their experiences in the, in the armed forces? What are the skills they learn, which most apply or you work with to help them transition successfully to a place in, in the business world? 
Sure. So, you know, my focus has been with the United States Navy SEALs. And over the last couple of years, I have mentored a number of individuals who were active Navy SEALs about to transition into industry. Um, In America, um, if you've been with the service for a long time, uh, they uh, are able to sponsor you to go to business school. Um, and I usually start working with an active Navy SEAL that's doing a part-time business school degree. My kind of role in their lives is to, as I said a bit about my students, be a sounding board to them as they think about what it is that they are uh, positioning themselves for once they actively leave the military with a business degree. And it's, it's, it's enormously difficult for them not to just decide on what a potential new career is going to be, but it's going from being, in many cases, a senior officer in the SEALs, such as a, a lieutenant commander or commander um, uh, of many, many men and women um, and having served in extremely difficult combat situations in, in the last 10 years where it's been a life and death matter and then suddenly thinking um, I'm going to be in an office cube <laughs> working uh, in private equity or investment banking. It's enormously uh, daunting, I think, for them to to make that transition. And so for me, having a lot of friends who have served in the military, both in the UK and in the US and uh, have continued to, to, to be in, in the military, um, I uh, I encourage them and tell, you know, talk talk them through what it's like to to join a, a, a private equity firm or investment bank. What to expect, where they can expect their careers to go in the first few years. You know, what are the pros and cons of joining an organisation such as X, Y, and Z. Uh, how to think about the world a little bit differently from being in the military and kind of uh, you know not necessarily deprogram themselves from being in the service, but using their core skills such as leadership, such as people management, such as sometimes abstract thinking, especially in the SEALs where, you know, many of these operators are, uh, you know, highly intelligent individuals who work within teams that have been enormously successful executing on on complex missions around the world and taking that skill set and applying it into business. There's been many examples of, of uh, their predecessors who are a bit older or served, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, building very, very successful careers, and they should get encouragement from that. And once they do leave the service and once they do go join industry, uh, for me to remain in contact with them and, you know, talk to them about, you know, uh, how, how they best to navigate the firm, courses they should take, um, just, you know, general, general uh, advancement of their career. And I've very much enjoyed it, very much relished it, and uh, continue to do that to this day. Well, well done. Um, fantastic work you're doing there. Uh, can't allow this podcast uh, to come and go without asking the, the really obvious question. You're something of an investment expert, Chris. So what is the most important aspect of successful investing uh, and how important are the people behind it? Because I hear all kinds of things, you know, follow the fund, follow the fund manager, and it's a world I know particularly well, but lots of people are always asking me for the secret. I don't know it, so I'm kind of hoping you might. <laughs> so my uh, my uh, previous background before being in private equities was uh, a lot to do with risk management uh, in the hedge fund world. And 
my kind of rule about investing was once if you lose anything by 10%, get out. And anytime I, any fund, any direct investment, anything where I was losing 10, up to 10%, I would always cut my losses. And that kind of uh, mantra has uh, been, you know, I'd say 90% successful. I've never, never got out of an investment where I've lost that much. And then it's come back and more than where I, my original position was. So I would always say cut your losses when, you, when you've seen a 10% drop. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I should, I should carry that one to people who ask me the same question. So I've never had the answer until up until now. Um, <laughs> So I, 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 we haven't spoken a lot about your disability because that clearly is not the focus. It's all the amazing work. But just for the uninitiated, tell us exactly what your, what your disability, the condition that you've lived with all these years, Chris, that hasn't ever held you back. But just so we understand what it is. Yeah, so sacralogenesis is a very rare um, uh, deformity that occurs um, in, as you develop as a fetus. And I think it affects one in 25,000 babies. So I like to tell people that, you know, how rare I am because of that. Um, <laughs> um, that but it is uh, a disability where I have had to, from very young on, walk with crutches into this day. I have, you know, 37 plus years of walking on crutches uh, under my belt. But it, it, it is, it, it's not standard, um, Sometimes sacralogenesis can affect people uh, in varying different degrees. Sometimes you wouldn't even notice uh, someone with that particular deformity. They would be walking, talking, growing to the to average heights as uh, as adults. And then sometimes it affects people much more severely than myself, whereupon you know they have bought very very uh, bad uh, spinal defects and leading them to be in uh, a wheelchair permanently and maybe affecting uh, their brain uh, capabilities. Some people would uh, perhaps see similarities between sacrogenesis and spina bifida. Um, some, I would almost say, it's, without being a, a doctor or anything like that, I would say it's almost a, a derivative of spina bifida. It, it appears to be similar uh, in many ways. Um, so yeah, so I walk on crutches. I have done for a long, long time, and um, and that's it. That's it. and it's affected also the uh, the how how tall I am. But you know, I get to take advantage of that as well with airplane chairs and uh, and beds. So I'm not, I'm not too bothered by that. Well, I ask you the question only to put uh, the wonderful work you're doing and all that you've achieved in business and life into some kind of perspective, so that people clearly understand um, some of the challenges that you have to overcome to get where you've got to. So I hope you don't mind me asking you a very personal question, but it was just to put things into perspective. Um, and given that you are a bit of an expert on things like investment and all these amazing things that you're helping other people with to transition from life after Navy SEALs into business, uh, working with your students, there's going to be lots of people, Chris, that want to find out a little bit more about Chris Houlihan. So where do we go to social media, websites, anything like that, where we can connect with you or find out a little bit more about what you're doing? Well, I appreciate that. Um, I am on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also come to our company website, www.armillerpartners.com. And um, on there, there's a way for folks to contact us at the, at the firm. Um, but I think the best way for us to, to interact would be uh, on LinkedIn as a, as a, as a starting point. That, that we will surely do. 
Uh, Chris, one of the questions, I know you've probably heard a few of the podcasts now. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Um, I know you've heard a few of the podcasts, so you'll probably know that one question, and I can't think of a better guest to ask this question to, but a kind of a summary of everything that you've been kind enough to share. So you're having this conversation with a younger version of Chris Hulan, maybe your son or something, and he says, right, Dad, you know, a few words of wisdom, please. I'm just about to go out into the big, wide world and, and take on a new business or a new challenge in life. Uh, what words of wisdom, knowing all that you know now, Dad, would you give to me as I set off on that journey? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I would tell myself that um, it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, it's okay to uh, you know, screw up from time to time. I would also tell them that whatever anybody ever tells you as being impossible it never is. Uh, it's just a, it's a social construct. And I would always, I also believe that disability is a social construction. If we were to build our physical worlds to be more inclusive of all types of people, I would be much more, uh, I, would, I, would, I would think that disability was almost uh, less of an issue if we as a society uh, were more inclusive. Um, so I would always let myself know that you know, down to us as individuals to make it work, to make life work, to make them realize that life is very, very short. Um, and that, you know, that, that there's opportunity for everyone. I would also tell them stories about folks who have been able to be successful with disabilities where people don't necessarily remember that. I would tell them the stories of uh, President Roosevelt in the 1930s and 1940s leading the United States with the not being able to stand up and face his enemies. He did it all from a wheelchair. Or I tell them stories about Winston Churchill and his inability to walk without a cane. <laughs> and remind them, myself as a young person, that people with physical disabilities can rise up and accomplish the most impossible of things. And perhaps that disability in itself is the reason for greatness. That's what I would tell them. Brilliantly said. Brilliantly said. Well, Chris, that's all we've got time for. I wish I could talk for longer because this has been really, really fascinating. And I've had the unique privilege of meeting you. And I would say to anyone listening, if you get the chance to meet, meet Chris Houlihan, he's nothing but inspirational. You've heard half an hour's worth and there's plenty more where that came from. So I'm hoping you might come back and uh, we'll, have a, we'll have another go and ask you a few more questions at some point in the future. And of course, when you're back over in the UK, Chris, I owe you a beer and we'll have a catch up. <laughs> all right, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time too. YouTube. So that was the Sandro Forte podcast. And well, what can I say? Chris Houlihan, uh, I don't say this lightly. He's a really, really inspiring guy. There are many, many more fantastic guests joining me over the coming weeks. So please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some great tips on success. And don't forget to check out the archives as well. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's podcast. That's Sandro's with an S. Same on all channels. And we'd love to continue to hear your stories your ideas, your anecdotes, challenges, whatever motivates you. So keep the emails coming. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. And if you can, please leave those reviews on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. Until next week, thank you.